So uh, I'm Laura Jane Lee. I'm a poet from Hong Kong. Um, I, I edited a protest anthology. It was, it was a risky move, basically. So there was one day I was stopped and searched on, on basically in Chim Sha Chui and in a, in a, in a big, um, busy area in Hong Kong. The day immediately before and after I had the anthology with me. And I, I realized how, how dangerous it would have been if when they had searched me that they had found, found the anthology on me. It would have been, I couldn't, I can't imagine it would have been terrible. It's that thought that while they have so much power now, they 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 basically have license to do all sorts of stuff. It's it's really scary. From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. On Thursday night, the Chinese government passed new laws effectively stamping out democracy in Hong Kong. The changes will significantly strengthen the Communist Party's grip on the territory. Today, world editor for the Saturday paper, Jonathan Perlman, on whether this is really the end of Hong Kong as we know it and what happens next to those who've been fighting for freedom. Jonathan, a couple of years ago, there was this wave of protests in Hong Kong, and it seemed like this was a pivotal moment, a moment that would define Hong Kong's future. Can you tell me about what happened and what was at stake back then? Yes, so those protests were sparked by an extradition bill that was going to be able to allow Hong Kongers to be extradited to mainland China. This international city, this international financial hub being brought to a literal standstill earlier today because of the sweeping size of today's protests. They came out onto the streets. At one point, there was estimates of over a million people marching on the streets of Hong Kong in 2019. In Hong Kong, for 11 weekends straight, streams of pro-democracy protesters on the streets. Hundreds of thousands filled Victoria Park and its surroundings. Every night, people would come out onto their, their balconies or yell from their apartment windows, Hong Kong Gayao, which means Hong Kongers add oil, which is sort of an expression for keep it up. The streets became inundated with, with murals, with posters and post-it notes being stuck to walls throughout Hong Kong. There was this real energy in the streets then, I think, and for not just not just resisting the extradition bill, but for showing a resistance to further erosions of freedom. And there was a sense at the time that this was really potentially the last time that Hong Kongers might get to resist this growing erosion of democracy in China and to fight for their autonomy. So this moment in time, it sounds like it was really seen as a last chance for the pro-democracy movement in Hong Kong. But can you tell me a bit about the context here, why these protests were happening in the first place and the role that China has played in Hong Kong historically? Yes, so China regained control of Hong Kong from Britain in 1997. And there's this 50-year period now 
where Hong Kong has this period of autonomy before it fully reverts to Chinese control. Um, and there's this system of one country, two systems, in which Hong Kong is supposed to have a degree of autonomy and a degree of freedom. The thing is, when that handover took place in 1997, conditions were quite different. Hong Kong at the time played a really important part in China's economy. It was about, I think, 16% of Chinese GDP. Well, today that's down to about 3% or less. So Hong Kong was really seen as a vital part of China and China was going to have to make compromises to win over the support of the people of Hong Kong and also... China was seen as as needing Hong Kong, needing Hong Kong for its own connections to the West and to the rest of the world and needing also the input of Hong Kong's commercial and financial activity. Well, that's, that's changed, obviously. China has risen. Hong Kong is no longer as vital to China's economy or to China. And in some senses, what's, what's really driving China now is a concern about Chinese national pride, at least that's how the Communist Party sees it. It is more interested in its insistence on Hong Kong's being part of China's territorial integrity and it's more concerned about Hong Kong's contribution to Chinese national pride. Mm, Okay, so this is about China wanting to see Hong Kong as as essentially, um, you know, a a territory that that it owns. And what about people in Hong Kong who are pushing back against that idea? Did the the protests change anything? This enormous show of support by the people of Hong Kong put pressure on Beijing um, and was seen as very worrying to China. And there were elections held for the district council in late 2019, and it was one of the biggest turnouts by voters in Hong Kong's history, and it was a huge landslide win for the pro-democracy candidates. So there was seen as real momentum at that point, but that has changed and China fought back strongly. We've seen pro-democracy candidates expelled from, from votes for the Legislative Council. In the largest single crackdown yet, dozens of Democrats and activists were charged in Hong Kong Sunday with conspiracy to commit subversion. And then there's been these sweeping arrests of protesters. Police have carried out dozens of arrests and used water cannon and tear gas against protesters. A man detained for holding a flag of independence. He was also wearing a T-shirt branded with Free Hong Kong. And that includes, importantly, a number of the really prominent protest leaders and former lawmakers in Hong Kong ranging from from Joshua Wong, who's in his early 20s, to veterans of the Hong Kong protest movement have been arrested or fled to exile. Earlier this month, a judge in Hong Kong ordered that this this group of 47 pro-democracy activists who were arrested earlier this year should remain in custody. And there was about 1,000 people dressed in black outside the court to show solidarity with the people who'd been arrested. So that was really the first first sign of protest that we've seen in a while in Hong Kong, but it pales in comparison to the 
hundreds of thousands of people that we were seeing in, in 2019 and early 2020. And the reason that we've had that change is because of the national security law that China introduced in the middle of last year. That has given China enormous powers to arrest people in Hong Kong for political crimes. Can you tell me about that, the national security law? So it's a very sweeping law which has allowed for the detention of enormous numbers of members of the movement. It's also included the establishment of a Chinese security office on Hong Kong. So you have Chinese mainland authorities actually involved in cracking down on them, on any signs of protest and in, in rounding up detainees. So the national security law, at the time, people described its introduction as the end of Hong Kong. And whilst there are still signs, small signs of, of pro-democracy protests, certainly that law has led to the end of the leadership of the pro-democracy movement and really the end of the protests. But China continues to pass more laws, more measures, and this week we saw new laws introduced which are going to further consolidate China's power in Hong Kong. We'll be back in a moment. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Jonathan, let's talk some more about the legislation that underpins China's position in Hong Kong. What are the specifics of the resolutions that passed last week and and how significant are they in the context of what China has been doing in Hong Kong for the past couple of years? So about a month ago, Beijing started to signal that they were going to introduce new laws for stability and these laws involved changes to the election of members of the Legislative Council. Now, the Legislative Council, uh, it previously had 70 members. It's going to be expanded. But it it was already stacked in favour of Beijing because only 35 members were popularly elected. So there was already a rough majority of pro-Beijing candidates in, in the council. But that pro-democracy minority was still able to exercise a voice. It was able to filibuster. Um, it was able to raise a voice against legislation that it found concerning. And now what China has done has changed the makeup of the Legislative Council 
to ensure that patriots, as it says, will be elected and it's going to vet candidates and it's going to reduce the proportion of seats that go to popularly elected candidates. And as a result, that is going to reduce the importance of that pro-democracy voice within the council. And so does this mean that Hong Kong's pro-democracy voice is over? It seems like China has a pretty unflinching kind of vision here for, for how this is going to go. Yes, I think that I think that's right. I think that China has a fairly clear and methodical plan for how it is trying to undercut the pro-democracy movement in Hong Kong. And so we've seen changes to the to the judiciary. We've seen these national security laws which have resulted in the really the crushing of the of the mass protests and the the arrests and detention of the pro-democracy leaders. And now we're seeing that final plank uh, in which that sm- already <laughs> fairly small allowance for a pro-democracy voice in the council um, is going to be undercut even further. And so this is really... Um, a further erosion of the autonomy of Hong Kong and of the one country, two systems, which is supposed to underpin public life there. And so, Jonathan, what does this mean for the people who were out there on the streets in 2019 protesting for democracy? What are they saying about this and how are they feeling? A lot of people in Hong Kong are starting to leave. I'm a poet from Hong Kong and I... Well, I was born and raised in Hong Kong, but I have since relocated to Singapore. I spoke to a number of the people who were involved in the protest movement, including uh, a person, we'll call her Laura Jane. I don't think I see a future for myself in Hong Kong. With, With the things I write about, that it would be very safe for me to stay in Hong Kong. And also, yeah, of course, because of the political climate and basically how you know, a lot of stuff has changed. I just don't really see um, myself staying in Hong Kong for the long term or trying to make a life for myself, yeah. So people are starting to leave and the protest movement is is moving into the diaspora. But Laura Jane was insistent that the people of Hong Kong will continue to try to speak out it seems as if the protest is dead to many people from overseas, you know, looking at Hong Kong, you know, oh, the protest is dead. But, you know, people living in Hong Kong know that, you know, OK, it, it, inside, it, in our hearts, in our minds, you know, it, we, we, we're not accepting this, you know, this, this, we're not accepting defeat. And will continue to support in any way they can a restoration of the freedoms they've lost and, and, and a push for democracy. Perhaps I can just use this opportunity to say, um, Jonathan, thank you for your time today. Thanks, Ruby. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Memento. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. 
Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Also in the news today, the Prime Minister Scott Morrison has offered to meet with organisers of the Women's March for Justice being held in Canberra today. However, he won't be attending the rally. The marches, which are also being held across the country, were organised in response to allegations of sexual assault levelled against Attorney General Christian Porter. Porter denies the allegations. And WA Premier Mark McGowan has led the Labor Party to a landslide victory in the state election held over the weekend. Labor is currently on track to win 53 of 59 seats in the state's lower house. The Liberals have been reduced to just two seats, with the Nationals set to become the main opposition party. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.